Love you, brother. Love you. Thank you. I have a book here titled Ladies of Gold. Yeah. The Remarkable Ministry of the Golden Candlestick. Rob pulled out volume three, which is just fine because they in and of themselves are just complete works. But there are two other volumes as well, actually three. And uh, these precious men and women spent, many of you know this, over 52 years in my hometown in Southern California in a mountain resort community and entered into six days a week harp and bowl ministry. And every one of them thought that they were called into full-time ministry among the nations of the world. And supernaturally, God brought them together and they gave up all aspiration for that type of ministry to minister unto the Lord, unto the King. And uh, subsequently, they uh, had, from day one, encounters with God, fellowship with the angels, transportations to other nations where they would intercede, even preach and teach behind the Iron Curtain in Russia before it was open, other places. Then they were translated to heaven consistently. And I always humorously tell people, I know this will stretch some of you, but um, as a young teenager, I'm sent from that group. They wanted someone to enter into their inheritance and be sent forth uh, into the nations of the world. And uh, of course, I served them by cleaning the sanctuary, which was the basement of the home of Francis Metcalf. And I remember the first time that I assembled with them, I, I, it would take an hour to tell you just exactly, of course you can read it in the books, what I experienced the first time when the heavens were open. And I remember that to the left was an archaic door that if you've read any materials about the Dark Ages, you know, the Middle Ages, it was a door of that nature. It didn't fit, you know, the cabin, mountain cabin at all. And I just looked at that door and every once in a while, some of the ladies and men would open up that door and there was a bluish golden hue that emanated. And I just thought they were going upstairs to the first level and uh, they'd shut the door and be gone an hour because they usually would assemble eight or nine hours at a time. And, uh, you know, an hour or two later, they'd come back and then another group would go up through that door. And uh, so about a week later, they wanted me to clean the sanctuary and I went in there in the afternoon and the door wasn't there on the wall. I said, what, what happened to the door? Now, if I'd heard this once, I'd heard it a hundred times. 
Jim, you're not quite ready to understand these things. I heard that a hundred times from them. Well, I said, no, no, I want to know. What happened to the door? Jim, you're not ready. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to clean this sanctuary. I was kind of rebellious. And I said, I'm not going to clean the sanctuary until you tell me. And, you know, they smiled and said, well, okay. You know, um, that was a door to heaven. I said, excuse me? <laughs> heaven? Uh, yeah. I said, well, where did all those women and men go? Uh, where do you think they went? I said, well, you say, you say heaven? I mean, the heaven? <laughs> yeah, they would, you know, go to heaven and come back. And sometimes they would have different attire, heavenly attire, you know, with gold all over them and jewels and things of this nature and just they were a unique group to say the least and i was i was telling my wife i said you know if i would have known that that was a door to heaven as soon as that door was open i would have leaped through that door and this is my wife you have to meet her she said, well, they would have just thrown you right back out, you know. <laughs> Thanks, Joy, because I wasn't quite yet sanctified, you know. But anyway, um, they received a, a measurable uh, revelation, most of it directly from the Lord Jesus. I'm not embellishing. And I know that's very highly subjective, but they were very scriptural, foundational. They were all students from Bible colleges, and uh, they just loved the Lord Jesus. And the centrality of all things was just Jesus. And uh, they had many, many encounters. And uh, it took me over 40 two years to gather all of their materials. The mimeographs, you know, little letters and this and that, put it all together in the four volumes. How many would like volume three? gentlemen. God bless you. All right. You got to promise me one thing. You will read it. You got to promise me you'll read it. All right. Just let dust collect on it. All right. And uh, of course you can go online www.doveontherise.com and uh, download it and get it cheaper. <laughs> Than out there in the table, but uh, we really make very little, if any, you know, uh, finances out of it, any increase. So 
it's yours. And we just wanted to bless the body of Christ. Uh, I know you're already in the book of Malachi, correct? Because you had received the word of knowledge. Is that right? Yeah, you did, didn't you? Malachi chapter 4. Now, before I go to my text and read it, uh, it's been a privilege to have Mr. Robert Rob Murdoch with me from Hurricane West Virginia. And uh, <clears throat> he has a very tremendous ministry and travels around the world. And so I would like for him to come up. Now, you're getting to Malachi 4, so that's going to save a lot of time. Just hold your finger on that. And let him give greetings and take it just a few moments and share out of his heart. Let's welcome Mr. Murdoch. Amen. Okay, enough, enough, enough. I'm just excited to see what the Lord's going to do tonight, amen? Man, you can just really feel it already. So Dr. Maloney asked me just to share just a little tiny bit tonight, so I just kind of want to share what the Lord has on my heart. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to my friends, Pastor Jerry and his wife, who came to me with, uh, to India with me last year. Um, and I met some Canadian friends here last night. So I was born and raised in Canada um, and moved to the States because I married a woman from West Virginia. So it's been an awesome blessing. Um, I went for a walk this morning and I was just praying and just talking with the Lord. And the Lord kind of dropped just one little thing in my spirit for you guys. And just kind of want to set the table for tonight. Um, you know, Hebrew says that faith, man, God is good. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Amen? There's a difference between faith and hope. There's a difference. When I was in Nigeria a few years ago, we... We're getting ready for a crusade, and there was a witch doctor that was cursing us that they told us about and the meetings and stuff. And we woke up the next morning, and they come to us, and they say, the witch doctor died. <laughs> we laugh about that, but let me tell you, when somebody dies after they've been cursing what the Lord has been doing, it's really sobering. I was asking forgiveness for things that I didn't even do <laughs> to make sure that nothing happened to me on that. However, because of that... We had everybody there. We couldn't pay for that type of advertising, if you know what I mean. So the entire village were there. We were really rural. They had never heard the gospel before, and we just preached the gospel. And when you have that many people that are there listening, you can't pray for everybody like you do tonight. But what happened was we just prayed as a mass thing over them. And one of the instructions we give them is, is that when we're done praying for you, try to do something that you could not do before. You know, it's like an activation of faith. So we found out that we prayed for everybody, and there was a bunch of healings that night. But we also, there was one in particular I wanted to share with you guys. There was a woman who hadn't been able to eat in several months. Every time she ate something, she automatically would throw it up. So slowly, I don't know if anybody here has done any fasting, but slowly but surely her body was starting to disintegrate, and she needed to be healed. She was, you know, uh, just shrinking away to nothing. And they told us that she had gone home that night, and she started to get food prepared. And her family told her, 
why are you getting food prepared? You're going to waste our food because all you're going to do is throw it up. You're going to waste it. You know that you can't eat. Why are you doing this? She said, well, I was at a meeting tonight. And he said to go and by faith to try to do something you could not do. So I'm going to try to eat. Her family members, her friends were mocking her. Don't do that. So she made her food anyway. She was stubborn and she started to eat. She ate her whole helping. Everybody sat there and waited to see if she was going to start to spew all over the place. But nothing came up. So she made some more. And she made some more. And she made some more. And she was completely and totally healed. Amen? Now, there's a reason why I'm sharing this. is because one of the things the Lord said this morning was, there is a group of people that are here tonight where... At one time in your walk, you had faith to be healed. At one time, your expectancy was so great. But over the years, because you've had many people that have prayed for you, you've gone to the big meetings, different things have happened, and that faith has changed now and moved into hope. And what happens is, when you move out of that place of faith, and the enemy will attack you, and they'll almost be like a, a, a little shield over your heart that doesn't, almost like it handcuffs that faith. And you get into this mundane thing of just, well, I'm just going to go here, and maybe it'll happen tonight. Or maybe the Lord will do this. But you understand that the whole thing that Jesus did on the cross in his blood, when you realize that there's absolutely nothing that can stand in the way of what he did. There's no demon in hell. There's no disease. Even death itself cannot stand in the way of what Jesus did. Amen? There's nothing. Tumors are going to disappear. Cancers are going to be healed. We're going to see creative miracles because that's what Jesus does. Amen? It has nothing to do with you. It has, nothing, it has everything to do with what he already did. Now, your responsibility is to have faith. Amen? So I'm going to pray right now before I hand this to Dr. Maloney that we're just going to break that bad hope off. Amen? And then we're going to bubble up that faith. We're going to just bubble up that faith so you have that expectancy that when we pray for you, when Dr. Maloney prays for you ministers, that the Lord's going to just explode miracles tonight. Amen? Because this is one thing I've learned. It doesn't matter if it's in America. It doesn't matter if it's in another country. The word is true. Amen? He'll always back up his word. He'll heal the sick. He'll raise the dead. He'll drive out demons. He said, freely you've received, freely give. Right? It doesn't have an asterisk that says only in certain places or certain times or seasons. Right? The word is the word. Right? Faith is faith. Either you're going to stand on it or you're not. And I've just decided, you know what? I'm not doing plan B anymore. I'm going to stand on the word and expect the Lord to do what he said he would do. Amen? You guys ready? How about we stand up real quick? Let's just, let's just release this before we get going. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, put your hands on your belly. We're going to stir up that faith in there. Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, as an ambassador of the kingdom, right now, I take authority over those things that are blocking that, that have handcuffed that faith, and I right now break it in the name of Jesus. And I right now, Lord, just loose, Father God, your anointing in this place, and that a spirit of faith will come up that will rise up from the in, in their inner bellies, and that it will drive up forward to pull on heaven, Lord, for the manifestation of your true being in this place which is wholeness, wholeness, healing, signs. Wonderful, Lord, just release right now. Lord, we just invite your angels to come, Father, and minister. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Wow. Powerful word of exhortation. God bless you. Have a nice evening. Hallelujah. Yeah. Uh, I have an interesting word to share in the morning. I know you love that when ministers do that. In the morning. But um, Holy Spirit laid this upon my heart and he touched on it. Um, one of the greatest weapons of the enemy is what I term the wound of grief. And basically, if you study out the word grief, it means a death, experiencing a death of an expectation. And uh, how many know Jesus healed us not only of our diseases, pains, sicknesses, but our bruises and woundings? And a lot of times, healing is instantaneous, and every person we pray for, we're going to believe you're going to get instantaneously healed. But there are times that Yes, God works through the workings of miracles, a miracle of healing that's instantaneous. Many times it's outward, explosive. A lot of people's needs are internalized, and yet they're just as important. You know, if you have cancer in your body and they can be instantaneously healed, that's a you know, miracle of healing. But there's also the gifts of healing. And that basically says or denotes this thought that God begins to set in motion his Zoe life being manifested in your mortal flesh, and he works with the laws of physiology, works with your body, and your body begins to amend. In other words, it's supernatural, but it denotes a process or a recovery and uh, you know people don't want to hear teachings on that they want something instant they want to see something now, I'm not being critical or judgmental God wants us to encounter him but uh, if we reduce everything to just an instantaneous miracle or we have to see something to believe, we will not believe in God for the supernatural to be expressed unless we see something. Instead of having our, you know, confidence towards God, our faith towards God, simply based upon what he has stated in his word. You're healed on the basis of what has been already accomplished and stated in his word. And we will miss out on the gifts of healings. And sometimes the gifts of healings, in my opinion, is just as great as an instantaneous miracle. Because how many know if, if it takes a week for you to be completely healed or a minute... 
How many know the end result is the same? (laughs) Really, I mean, but the lessons that you learn between the time that something has been set in motion, and that's all any minister can do, is just yield to the Holy Spirit. All any of us can do, all I can do is help initiate an encounter. And so there are times that the Holy Spirit will operate through what I term discerning the spirits, and you will sense God's intervention initially in your body, sometimes through a heat sensation, warmth, tingling, whatever, pow, you know, the power of God hitting you, this and that. And that is a sign that God has set in motion, and many of you will get instantaneously healed. That's our heart's cry and desire. It is misnomer to teach people that everyone that Jesus prayed for was healed instantaneously. They were not. Yes, the vast majority were. But there were several that go show yourself to the priest, and as they went to the priest, the lepers were healed. The man that was born blind, you remember Jesus reached down, spit on the dirt, you know, made mud. How many know the man, you know, was told, go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and he came back seen? How many know the man stood right there? Jesus could have instantaneously healed him. But he had to uh, synergize with the will of how God the Father wanted him to receive the miracle. So see, some of the greatest lessons you learn in your trust and reliance in the faithfulness and trustworthiness of God is in this life. This is the only time that you have to learn. Listen, your lifetime is the only time you have to learn how to trust in him fully. Because when you get to heaven, you don't need faith anymore. Hello? And uh, you need to have the perspective of the realm of the eternal and, you know, what we're entering into more than just this temporal life is important as what God wants to do for your life. Always remember, healing is temporal. And we need to understand that this life is but a moment and a vapor. And it it may not seem like that to you because, you know, we suffer, many of us, and God wants us again healed. But, you know, brethren, oh, when you see Jesus face to face, that's when you really begin to live. And you have ongoing ministry in heaven. Do you realize that? And um, this is highly speculative and subjective. I understand that. I will always tell you the difference. If it's truth that's found in the canonized scripture or subjective, but people in heaven, your loved ones, they're very busy. I say, well, what are they doing? There are entire pavilions and rooms where your loved ones gather together and they don't intercede for you. Jesus is your intercessor. This is not something that's Catholic 
in nature, but they do understand what you're going through in many respects. And they will at times work with the angels in heaven in creative ways and ideas that the angels of the Lord can come back down to earth and impart to you a tremendous blessing that maybe your mom and dad came up with in the idea in heaven. And there's whole areas, vast areas, say, how do you know? I've seen them where they come together and work out those ideas to help you and bless you here on earth. Isn't that a neat thought? You can disagree with it. Again, it's subjective, but, I, you know, it's, it's something that um, I thought many of you need to hear and uh, realize that your life, you know, isn't just about right now. It's something that... You know, it's going to last for eternity. And how you die, actually, you know, it's not how you begin, it's how you end. Where the tree falls, that's where it lies. That's when you begin to really enter into greater gracings and greater glory and, you know, greater opportunities to further serve the Lord in the millenniums to come. So God's very creative. Amen? Amen. And you've got this life to position yourself in heaven prayerfully in a way that God can entrust to you more of what heaven and the realm of the eternal has for you to enter into. Does that make sense? So this is why we have conferences of this nature is, yes, to get you healed prayerfully, to get you delivered, to encourage you. I've had email after email when people have said, you know, Brother Maloney, even if I wasn't healed, I just thank God that you and your team just took the time to pray for me, just to lay hands on me. And uh, I love fellowships of this nature because I know that they take the time as well to minister powerfully to people. I mean, uh, when Jesus spoke to me concerning this season of time in my ministry, this was in, 2000 in 2012, he said this to me. He said, when I ministered on earth, he said, the most important person to me was the one standing in front of me. And after they were healed, then the person that stood in front of me again, they were the most important person to me in my entire life. And on and on and on. I thought that was very precious of the Lord to tell me that. It speaks of a compassion and a love that's very individualized. And I hope that you encounter that this weekend, okay? That when we, uh, just because we're just vessels of clay, if we lay our hands upon you and you sense God initiating something, just know it's, it's his love. It's him. I want him to outshine through us. 
I want it to be the Lord laying his hands upon you. That's, that's my prayer that I just, I'm so empty and I'm just an empty vessel of clay that Jesus, you can kind of just sort of appear through me in a sense and just outshine and touch and make that person whole. That's what it means to be a son of God. And that's what all of creation is waiting for and groaning and travailing for is the manifestation of the sons of God. And that's all that Jesus meant in that statement is that we become so dead to self, ego, pride, carnality, that we're so yielded soulishly that our spirit man has arisen and taken dominion over our mind and our emotions that through us, yes, he uses us and uses our uniqueness and this and that, but really it needs to be more of Jesus and less of us, right? And that he can move through us and manifest his personality, and if you are so fully sanctified or better or more fully sanctified in the Lord, he will take aspects of your personality and you will be so like him in image that it's, it would, it's like he himself is ministering to you. Did you hear that? This philosophy that's being taught in Bible colleges that when Jesus moves and touches people, it's 100% you and 100% him. Oh, God have mercy. I don't want it to be 100% of anything of me. I want it to be him manifesting and appearing through me and that my soulish life is somehow yielded to the Holy Spirit and an aspect of really who I am and how I've been created individually, yes, is manifested, but hopefully it is in line with his personality and person. There's been times that I have laughed in the same way that he laughs. Hopefully, I phrase things in the way that he has phrased. Even your gestures, your movements, everything can be done in the very same way as if it was Jesus literally himself ministering to you. That's what it means to be a son of God manifesting the son of man. Hello? So... We're back to Malachi 4, and this is real quick. Verse 1, for behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up. Oh, isn't that an encouraging <laughs> first statement in a word? to help you in your faith towards God to be healed. And goes on to say, they shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, 
that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Now, I'm not going to go into the integral details of what Malachi is talking about, but there's a few um, uh, truths that is applicable for us tonight. But unto you that fear my name. Now listen to me. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please him. But I want you to know that in my particular conviction that, um, you know, the vast majority of people that Jesus ministered to, their faith was so faulty, incomplete. They were goofed up doctrinally, messed up emotionally. How many know that? You know, if, if you got to wait until your faith towards God is perfected, none of us would ever get healed. He meets us where we're at. I mean, he doesn't want us to stay in that level. He wants our faith to grow as a grain of mustard seed, but, you know, he admonishes us to grow and deepen in it. But, I mean, brethren, come on. I mean, look at all the people that came up to the Lord Jesus that were healed. I mean, most of them, they were just messed up like you and I. Tell the person next to you, look at him and say, he's talking about you. <laughs> so, <laughs> really, honestly, I mean, look at it, you know. I've seen eight people raised from the dead. Three in one service. And <laughs> I'm still going through my issue. It's not that I have a lack of faith. I don't have the answer. I don't fully understand the ways of God. But I'll tell you this, I'm learning to trust in him, in his faithfulness and trustworthiness that there's a reason why I'm alive. That I'm going to you know, live out my days. To me, what I have found is the greatest key to miracles and it's lacking in the body of Christ is a reverential fear of the Lord and that means a sense of awe and a greater understanding of who he is as the Bible unveils him to us and the way you know who the father is is see the son and how he moved on the earth and seeing the Father high and lifted up, and there's a lack of awe. There's a lack of vision. And the Bible says without a vision, the people of God will perish. That means it's without an immediate, fresh understanding and revelation of who he is. The one who is the most high, high and lifted up. His glory fills the temple. It says the people of God, people will perish. It means that in the, even in the world system, that people will cast off all their restraints. Anything goes because there's no absolutes. And when you don't believe there's any absolutes, it's the reason why is because you don't believe that there is a supreme being that has set those absolutes as a standard. 
We lack reverential fear in the body of Christ. We have this ridiculous, stupid teaching that says that I'm in Christ legally. I'm positionally in a righteous state because of Jesus' righteousness. I'm in right standing with God no matter how I live. And so my personal spiritual way how I live, my personal spiritual state has nothing to do with my legal standing. Now, there's some truth in the fact that, yeah, because of Jesus' righteousness, we are in right standing, amen, with the Heavenly Father. Absolutely. But to say that you can live like you please and be worldly and carnal and say that it's really inconsequential how I live because I've got this legal standing. I mean, that's being taught today. There's no reverential fear. Brethren, we need to be taught correct reverential fear. Get my book, <laughs> Lord in the Fires. Increasing in the awe of God. But unto you, if you understand my person, you fear who I am based upon your understanding, revelation of what my name or names represent. He says this, that the word, which is, of course, Jesus, the son of righteousness shall arise. Come on now. With healing. In his kaharans, uh, shafts of light, beams, wings, you know, if you're one that believes in a literal millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years, you know what's so exciting about that? That Jesus will come back to earth. He will restore the firmament. And I don't have time to, you know, teach on that. But he'll restore the canopy over the earth that when Adam and Eve fell in sin, that was lost, the protection and he will restore that, and he will stretch his wings over the earth. And for all eternity, the people living on the earth and reproducing on the earth for a thousand years, there will be no death. No pain. Hallelujah. Just think about that, moms. You have a baby, whoop, there it is. Not you guys, you'll be patting, you know. I'm talking about the ones living on earth, you know, that survive whatever tribulation. I mean, it's, it's amazing, you know, that the son of righteousness, there is that ultimate revelation. He will cause his wings, his glory shafts to cover the entire globe and restore longevity of life. Come on now, no sickness, no disease. No death. But right now, he's the son of righteousness. 
And this, of course, is talking about his first advent or his first coming. That he will be like the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. That's why I love to see blind people healed. Did you know in the Old Testament, no one ever was healed of blindness? It was only until Jesus' ministry. Isn't that amazing? And every time a blind eye is open and light comes to them, it's talking about or conveying the revelation of Malachi 4, that Jesus is the light of the world. He's the sun of righteousness, the light of the world has come, and you're seeing the light. Every time a blind eye is open, it's amazing revelation. That's why it was reserved until Jesus' time when he walked the earth in his first coming in Advent. And, of course, he will rise with healing in his wings, and we will go forth. That speaks of ministry, fruitfulness. And grow up as calves in the stall. That speaks of maturation spiritually, maturity. You know, the fruit and the gifts right there is conveyed in that. Fruitfulness in ministry, but fruitfulness in life. You know, I don't want to be an anointed jerk. Don't look around. I can't believe some of the people I've held conferences in that are mightily anointed, but they're jerks. No, I'm serious. They're what, it's what I call the pre-Madonna syndrome. I've got to have just a certain type of water. Of course, I, I request that. But... Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't have used that illustration there. One I ministered with, I've got to have certain ripened fruit, and it's got to be in the motel room, and I don't stay in motels. It's got to be fancy hotels. It's got to be this piece of fruit, then this piece of fruit, then this piece of fruit, then this piece of fruit. Oh, give me a break. We can get rid of that prima donna spirit real quickly. Just go with me to India. Or West Virginia. <laughs> Listen, that that's a that's another world, West Virginia. I've always said Tennessee, Kentucky, and West Virginia, and then you got the United States. <laughs> Different breed of people, lovely people, most of them. <laughs> but, you know, says that we'll mature like calves in the stall. We're going to go forth and express the kingdom, not just in word only, but in power. You're going to tread down the wicked that would try to rise up. That's what happened with our dear brother that tried to come against him. 
For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses. And that's just talking about just the entire canonized scripture. Particularly Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel and with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's interesting. Or dreadful means um, greatly anticipated with a sense of awe and shock that will just overwhelm you. That's the best definition for that word. It's talking about the first coming of the word, which, of course, is Jesus Christ in his earthly life and ministry. But before he comes, I'm going to send you, Jesus said, Malachi was talking about John the Baptist. But John the Baptist, which his message was repentance, correct? And uh, we thank God for that, and that's one of the foundation doctrines. But listen to this. This is I'm going to be very quick here. It's speaking about how that he will prepare the hearts of people for the Messiah. And his commission is to touch the hearts of the fathers and mothers and then in turn, as their hearts are touched and softened in repentance, preparing to receive the ministry of Jesus Christ, that in turn, it will affect their children or the generations to come. And their children's heart will be turned back to them. Now, there's a spiritual application. Let me take you back. Let's do a little bit of a history lesson. If you were not here last night, uh, forgive me, but you can get, this dates me, the CD, or just download it, or the tape cassette, <laughs> or the eight track, you know, just, uh, <laughs> that really dates me, or the vinyl 33 and a third, <laughs> or 45. Uh, some of the best music in the world is on those 33 and the thirds. Amen. There's just something about hearing all the scratchy sounds with the music. Just, it's awesome, right? Why am I saying that? I don't know. In 19... 46. The body of Christ is very quick. The body of Christ had their heroes in the realm of healing and the miraculous. They had Amy Simple McPherson in California. They had Charles Price, Dr. Charles Price. These are people that many of you do not know who I am talking about, but they were just foundational in teaching and administering God's grace, particularly in healing and miracles. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth. Several other ones I could mention that you don't know or would not know who they are. 
And um, they just basically around the same period of time died. And I remember as a teenager that these people that were elderly at that time were, was sharing with me how that we were just all concerned. We were living in a state of consternation. Our heroes have died. You know, because the concept back then was, you know, if you need healing, you've got to go see, you know, Smith Wigglesworth or Amy. You've got to get to life, you know, uh, temple or whatever they call it, Angelus Temple. You've got to get to, you know, so-and-so or so-and-so to be healed. There's just a few. And now they're all dead. What's going to happen? Everybody was concerned. Then basically, it, in 1946, but particularly 1948, isn't that interesting? When Israel became a nation, as in the natural, so in the spiritual. God did something new. He raised up, in particular, as a spiritual father, a gentleman named William Branham. Now, I'm not going to go into the discourse of the latter years of his life that was very controversial. I'm talking about the first 15 years of international ministry. Uh, think about this that inside of six months, he was world-renowned. He could go to any soccer stadium, go to any stadium, anywhere, any conference place in the world and pack it out in six months. He was not even known. He was from Kentucky, and then in six months, you know how he got known so well? People would have a dream or a vision or Jesus would appear and give the person his name and address and invite them to their nation. Wow. He was internationally known, world-renowned, inside of six months. And he came under the tutelage of a gentleman named Gordon Lindsay. Now, Gordon Lindsay saw such amazing miracles under the ministry of William Branham that they created a team. And there were teachers through the morning sessions, F.F. Uh, F. Bosworth, Christ the Healer, Ern Baxter, different ones. They taught through the day, and then Brother Branham would minister in the evening, okay? And Brother Lindsay was one of the teachers, a great apostle. Eventually, Brother Lindsay uh, took what was the Voice of Healing uh, magazine and, um, you know, established a Bible school in 1970 called Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas, for which I attended. That's where I met my wife. But what had happened was this man had so influenced other ministers. They saw such powerful miracles that he inspired 178 healing evangelists, men and women, 
that traveled all over the world, like A.A. Allen, Jack Cole, Oral Roberts, Raymond T. Ritchie, different ones, amazing. He was like a father to them. And he operated in a very powerful prophetic realm where people would stand in front of him and um, the thoughts and the intents of their hearts would be revealed, like it says in 1 Corinthians 14. He would just know and discern, hear, see. Uh, he would call people up, and, and this is found in Hosea 14, 12. He would enter into multiple visions. In other words, it wasn't just the details, this is your name, you live in such and such city. You know, people need to understand he had those kinds of words, but he didn't have them as often as people think. I know this because I talked with a gentleman that had traveled with him for 10 years. And probably, aside from maybe a few, there's very few in our circles that know more about Brother Brandon than I because of this gentleman that I had talked and tra he had traveled with. But the problem was this. I'm making a point in all this, and we're going to get to ministry. Brother Branham just started listening to unscrupulous people. Not, now, not the teachers around him, but others outside wanted to utilize his gift for filthy lucre's sake, for money. And he had a very in, uh, terrible in, for inferiority complex. I mean, you know, he had a third grade education. He couldn't speak very well. He couldn't read very well. He just, you know, and he just, just esteemed these great teachers and preachers. And he wanted to be like them. And, and Gordon Lindsay, I heard this from Gordon Lindsay's wife. And uh, she said, you know, Gordon said, lead the preaching to us. You know, the speakers like Ern Baxter and F.F. F. Osworth and Raymond T. Rich, you know, just, we'll teach, we'll preach. You just operate in your gift every night. My, I mean, you know, just, you know, he would call a person up and there would be this swirling, many times the whole congregation would see it, fire that would just like a pillar rest down upon Brother Branham they would enter into this cocoon and it wasn't just about words of knowledge it was the encounter they, this person was having an encounter with Brother Branham and there was an angel of the Lord and, and then details would come about their conditions or their heart's desires or whatever and it just was a gift of faith that dropped upon Brother Branham and then the faith would go out into the congregation so that afterwards when he would have several of these, a dozen or so, then when he started praying for people, everybody got healed practically. He was capable of taking the prophetic 
and signs and wonders and marry both of them together. The problem in the church today is we've got a camp of prophetic people over here that really have great words from God and they're all sick. Then you've got the, you know, signs and wonders people, the mystical type of people that are always wanting to feel, see, have an encounter, you know, I want gold dust, I want diamonds to come out of heaven, and they all want the, that type of thing. And you, you know what? They don't like them. These folks don't like them. And they're like, they've been like that for 30 years. People like me is caught right in the middle. Because I believe in the importance of the prophetic as well as signs and wonders and miracles. And there's very few charismatic churches like this one that honors both. So if you're a member of this church, stay where you're at. Am I saying this church is perfect? No. Why? Because you're part of it. <laughs> Brother Branham inspired 178 healing evangelists. That was everybody's answer. They thought their heroes were gone. But here was the problem. Brother Branham was given three phases of ministry. Number one, discerning or the importance of the ministry of laying on of hands and sensing God's presence flow through your hands. This guy was an elite in it. He would have little bumps appear on the top of his hand and he memorized the bumps that when it was in a certain sequence, he knew it was cancer. Or he knew it was a blood disease. Or he knew it was, oh, this means that diabetes. Whew. Isn't that something? How would you, you know, I had a minister friend that was there. He would, he would lay hands on people, and for a sign, his hand would light up fluorescent blue and everybody in the congregation would see it. And he, in his gentle way, do you believe? Do you think? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? You know, just amazing operation. And uh, then he would, you know, God would show, you know, various specifics about the people. Not a lot, but just, and it just created this level of faith. The second operation was that, what I term panorama. You can read it in my book, where they, um, where he would just have a, everybody say this with me, a knowing a hearing, a hearing, and a seeing. 
It means that he entered into this glory where he just knew. It was just a part of him. And sometimes, in fact, a lot of the times, how he knew what was wrong with people. How would you like to have a ministry like this where someone stands in front of you and right above them, you see a screen open up like a television? Now, I'm not talking about in your mind's eye. I'm talking about outwardly. The wall disappears, and you see this video screen open up, and he describes their life. Whoa! That's amazing. Could you imagine how that inspired all these hundreds of healing evangelists? Now, none of them could reproduce what he moved in, but many of them had outstanding signs and wonders and miracles. And yes, there were many of them that were anointed jerks. But he had a third phase he was supposed to enter into, but he got sidetracked because he came out from under the covering of Gordon Lindsay and listened to these unscrupulous people and said, you know, you don't need him anymore. And we'll take you along. And because of his inferiority complex, he took his prophetic seer operation and turned it towards the scripture and tried to interpret things that God never intended to be interpreted. Let me tell you something. When the Bible is silent about something, like let me use an illustration. The Bible really doesn't talk about aliens, so don't you. Are there aliens? It's okay. Watch the alien, you know. But, but, but the point, you just for entertainment. But I mean, who cares? If you got stage four cancer, you don't care if there's aliens. You just want to get healed. or other alternate universes. Like there's another James Maloney somewhere in another alternate. Oh, Lord have mercy. That's what my <laughs> wife says. I'm going to pray for her. How, you know, it's stupid. And th this is being taught behind the pulpit. In many circles, this kind of nonsensical stuff. But that's what happens. He should have kept his gift simple. Kept it upon the individual. He was a very compassionate man. But because of an inferiority complex, he listened to them, and then he got all tangled up in controversial doctrines and this and that. We don't want to get into that. Now, why have I shared that with you? is because his third phase, he didn't complete it. He died prematurely. And the third phase, this takes us to Malachi 4 as I close. His third phase of ministry was for this purpose. 
Okay, I've inspired all of these 178 healing evangelists, and what he should have been doing was teaching those healing evangelists. Now, some of them got a hold of this truth, but the vast majority of them didn't because it was very lucrative to be the man of faith and power for the hour, and if you need to get healed, you've got to come to my tent revival. How come those men and women... And some did, of course. There were exceptions. How come they didn't understand what it meant to be a spiritual father and mother? How come they didn't have a group of young men and women that they were training up to go even further than them? There just weren't any fathers. When I started the ministry in 19... You know, when I got born again, spirit-filled, and started the ministry in the early 70s, there were no spiritual fathers that I was aware of. It was like, we, you know, 40-year, 50-year, we, we skipped over a whole generation there should have been men and women raised up as spiritual fathers and mothers in the spirit and the power of Elijah to take young men like my wife and, my, and myself and women, my wife. And, <laughs> you know, we long to have our hearts turned towards just one of those individuals to mentor us. To bless us, that's what Branham's third phase was all about. You are to raise up spiritual fathers and mothers that the emerging generation is to come under your tutelage and what level you operate in, they even go further. It was lost for 60 years. We had to wait 60 years. And now we live in 2018. You know where we're at? Right now, we're on the verge of a movement, a restorational movement. It's called the Army of the Lord. But before the millennials can rise up as the Army of the Lord, they need moms and dads. And Dove on the Rise ministry, and this ministry as well, and anyone that is truly apostolic, their whole motivation and desire, if you are a father and a mother in the spirit, every mom and dad, listen to me, you know this is your heart's cry and desire. You want your kids to be more blessed than you. You want your children to go further than you. If you're a true spiritual father and mother, and Branham missed it, and we've had to wait 60 years. Now, there were, of course, exceptions. But you know what? I'm talking about miracles and healings, not just the prophetic. Yeah, we have the Bill Hammonds of the world that just held true to the prophetic and trained up a generation, a spiritual father and mother, 
and thank God for them and, and, and others in the prophetic realm. But what about over here? Now, you know, you got Rick Joyner and different ones, but I'm talking about even prior to him. Rick Joyner, I ministered with him at a conference, and his greatest heart's cry, he said this. I heard him say this. I longed, I wept and cried out that one of those I guess it was one of the healing evangelists. I prayed and I asked the man, would you mentor me? And the response was, I don't have time. I'm the anointed one. My God, my Lord, my, my, my. That's not what we want to project here tonight. It's all about him through his people. It's all about walking in the spirit and the power of Elijah like John the Baptist did and preparing. See, you're called. Listen to me. Everybody look at me. You're called to be a mom and dad spiritually. If you walk with the Lord for any length of time, you don't have to be an old fogey to be a father or a mother. You can be a young father, amen? A young mom. It's the concept. It's the revelation of it. That this church is to raise up spiritual fathers and mothers. That's why God's expecting more of you and walking in greater pureness and holiness and having a greater, greater reverential fear of him and things that you used to get away with just six months ago, you're not going to get away with it anymore. Stop watching those movies. Smile at me. You're not getting away with anything on the internet. God sees everything. Look, I have to be deepened or brought into greater depth and understanding the reverential fear of the Lord. Why? Because I almost died. And in the natural, the doctors have no assurance. I just have the word to stand on. And I said, God, let me live. Just let me live to be able to encourage people like you. It doesn't matter what profession you're in. You ought to be a full-time minister. We're all ministers. To become a mom and dad spiritually, not just to your natural children, but spiritual children. And let, let's set an example, Amen. And let's prophesy. Let's move in words of knowledge. Let's, let's lay hands on the sick believer and watch them recover. 
and set in motion an inspiration by illustration, not just articulation, so that these millennials and Generation Zs or whatever you want to call them, the army that's going to emerge, and we're about seven or eight, year, eight years away from this emerging army. Right now, we're in that in-between time. God's given us a space of about seven or eight years to become spiritual fathers and mothers to turn the hearts of these young men and women towards our heart, our conviction, our faith towards God, our devotion. There's nothing worse than a precious, charismatic mom and dad that cannot transfer their conviction, their faith to their own natural children. And it's disheartening. And many of you are sitting there. You love God with all of your heart, but your children are not serving God like you did and like you are, many of you. And there's no condemnation in that statement. What we're saying is, is that these series of meetings is more than just you getting healed. And wow, I got healed. That's a temporal blessing. If you get the revelation that it goes beyond your physical need as important as it is. You are to be healed so that you get the revelation that I can deepen and grow in my understanding of the fear of the Lord so that I can be positioned at the right place at the right time with the right people so that I can take all that's been deposited in my life and instill it in the emerging generation. Come on now. And turn their hearts back towards our conviction, our love, our devotion. Come on now. But we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can't do it without true repentance. It starts in the church. Don't blame the woes of the world upon the worldly people. They don't know any different. The woes that are upon the world, generally, it's because of a backslidden church people. And nothing's worse than unbelieving believers. Or disillusioned. And they get mad at God. Boy, God gets blamed for more things. It had nothing to do with it. Don't think there weren't times I wasn't tempted to get angry at God. How come you haven't healed me? How come you, how come, how come, how come? What have I done wrong? Where's the sin? Where's the issue? Where, you know, I spent a thousand hours in all of that. You know what? I'm tired. I let it go. I just love you. Just let me live. 
Let me use this to set an example of perseverance, hopefully, and endurance and long-suffering. Not that you authored it, so that people that are going through even worse things than you. You know what? There are people that are going through worse things than what you've been going through. I'm not minimizing what you're facing and going through. I'm just saying we're in this together, people. If we lay hands on you, would you, would you affirm this in your heart tonight? Would you say, I want this to change my view of where we're at in the body of Christ and who I am in this. And I want that mantle that was dropped 60 years ago, I want to be one of those men and women that picks it up and becomes, that's what Branham should have done. He should have raised up and taught those 178 healing evangelists to be spiritual fathers and mothers and future men and women to be spiritual fathers and mothers he was the progenitor of it all in 1946. Oh, my precious people. That's where we're at right now. Moms and dads. Spiritual moms and dads. Awaiting one of the greatest moves of God's spirit the church has ever seen and the world has ever seen. Could I hear an amen? amen? In the midst of incredible gross darkness that's covering the face of the whole world. And I was told supernaturally by a messenger angel that the calamities, what was last year like? One earthquake after another, one volcano after another, one, what else? After another, after another. I was told that that would become a regular norm and there would be no breaks. It would just, we're entering into a whole nother era. But don't let that worry you or scare you. Because in the midst of all of that, there's power. There's authority. Come on now. There's the son of righteousness with healing in his wings for you that's going to cover you. Come on now. That you, according to Revelation, your forehead is going to be marked by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Read it in Ezekiel chapter 9. You're going to be marked where nothing can touch you. Nothing can discourage you. Come on now. Hallelujah. Amen. That you're going to set an example to all of these trembling millennials and Generation Z. You know, they're, they're, they're afraid to even you know, a lot of them to get involved in anything. Why? You know, you find this really in Europe. They have given up. The young people in Europe have given up. Why should I study? Why should I do this? Why should I do that? Because look, the whole world's going to hell. So I'm just going to stay at the pub and party. 
And yet they don't realize that this is the greatest opportunity to see the kingdom of God established in the hearts of people all over the world. But before you die, listen to me, youngster. You're all young. Before you die, there's something you've got to impart to at least someone else or many others and turn your hearts away from your own. See, if if you say, God, I want to be healed because I want this healing to serve as a sign of your grace and love and give me the confidence that when I see someone that's sick and afflicted, that I can lay hands on them and they'll be healed and then I can teach them like true disciples are supposed to teach people where to raise up disciples. One quick illustration. The Christians in a particular nation I will not mention didn't listen to me. 39 million Muslims, excuse me, 29 million Muslims 1,100 Christians, they came out to my meetings, hundreds of Muslims. The Christians fought me worse than the Muslims. They would stand up and rebuke me while I was preaching the kingdom of God. They want to hear about the kingdom of God. They'd been missionaries there in this nation for over 30 years. Some of them never saw one convert. Can you imagine the gall of standing up and rebuking and verbally condemning me while I'm trying to preach? And I could just sense the hot fear of God, the anger of God rise up. Oh, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Don't ever forget that. We've lost it. It's all about. (laughs) Turn to someone better looking than you and do that. (laughs) Nobody preaches this anymore. Most of the pastors in America are nothing more than life coaches. Make you feel better. Get you out under an hour. Get upset if praise and worship goes over 40 minutes. I don't think it has to go four hours, five hours, but the point I'm trying to say is, come on. We want the presence of God. We're too mind-driven. Everything's intellectual. I'm not despising the importance of our mind. It just needs to come under the subjection of our spirit man, where the Holy Spirit resides, and to be used as a tool. But these mind-driven, unbelieving believers were rebuking me. 
So the Muslims felt sorry for me. <laughs> they started crying, tears streaming down. Muslims. They felt horrible for me, not the Christians. So one guy, he gets up. I didn't ask him. This is what I call a divine setup. I used to teach my students. Used to have a class on divine setups. Also, I had a class on how to raise the dead, 101. You can teach principles. Now to be prepared when someone dies to raise them up. Don't die on me. I remember, I remember I had this lady. I said, "Hun, you're getting healed of your heart. You know, you've had two surgeries. The valve, you know, was replaced by, you know, one of the metal thing, valves type of thing. And she got so excited. Oh, thank you. Boom, had a cardiac arrest and died. Right there in my meeting. And this country boy went up to her, a real country boy, you know, rancher. Preacher, this woman, she's dead. <laughs> I believe she's dead. You, 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 better, you, you better apply some of that preaching you've been telling us about because this woman's dead. I didn't ask for that. Of course, God raised her up. <laughs> I mean, she was dead for 10 minutes. I mean, she was dead, man. So I didn't ask for this Muslim guy to come up and stand in front of me. He, did, he felt sorry for me. And he, so he interrupted all of their upbraiding me. My brethren... Jesus was wounded in the house of his friends. He had more difficulty and problems with the people closest to them than the unsaved people in many respects. And so this Muslim stands there. This guy stands there, and I look at him. I go, oh, God, Lord, Lord, Lord. You know, I, I love these evangelists, you know, no, no children crying. No, we don't want to offend the Holy Spirit. The atmosphere has to be perfectly right for the Holy Spirit to give me uh, to, to 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 move powerfully. Oh, give me a break! You go to places like Africa, or India. You got the kids right there, and if they have to go to the bathroom, they dig a hole. And while you're preaching. I've actually had to cover it up while I'm preaching. And trust me, the Holy Ghost moved. What's wrong with these prima donnas? So I, I'm going, God, no, not him, because the man 
had no shoulder, arm, or nothing. It had never been created. And so this is what got me. The Christians started mocking me, mocking God. You mock me, you're mocking God. Now I'm getting angry, and I'd like to say it was the righteous indignation of God. <laughs> was it? How many like know what happened? Tomorrow morning, I am going to finish that story. I didn't see every hand go up, so yeah, I don't think you want to know. How many, how many like know what happened? No, no, you're too slow. No. Well, I wouldn't do that. You twisted my arm. I prayed the most powerful prayer of faith. Anyone could pray. Jesus, help. <laughs> help me. Help me. And I looked at this guy that has no arm, and I see the, the like a person sketching a black line of an arm and fingers. It was hollow, but it was like a line. So I got the bright idea. I, I don't know why. I just knew. I, I, I took my fingers where that line was. I mean, I could just see it, just like you're seeing me. I don't know if anyone else saw it, but I saw it. And I just did this. I just followed the line, and when I did, the arm appeared, and the fingers appeared, and the whole hand appeared. Listen to this. Obviously, the man got saved. <laughs> they got angrier. The Christian. Now, what do we do? What do we do? You expect us to see that? Uh huh. And they got worse. They were coming towards me to stone me, basically. Well, I got a size 14 boot. All right. I was a fighter as a kid. No, no. I, I was a trained fighter. The way the Israelis fight. If a fight lasts longer than 20 seconds, you've lost. So I have ripped off more ears. I don't want to go any further. That's how I fought. It would last 20 seconds. It's, it's amazing my parents didn't get sued. But I'm sanctified. But I did have someone a while back attack me behind the pulpit and broke my ribs, got underneath me, but I gave him a whole new understanding of the ministry of the laying on of hands. <laughs> I haven't learned the 
turn the other cheek. <laughs> Mary liked that one. Let's try over here. I don't want you looking. Don't you look. I prophesied 45 minutes that they would be out of that country inside of three years and upbraided them for their unbelief. Every one of them has gone, and the nation right now in the Middle East is under major civil war. And there are three million children on the verge of dying because of those 120 Christians. But you know what's so neat? I pulled the Muslim aside, took 10 minutes and taught him how to get people saved. This is how you do it, just like you just got saved. And then I taught him this. I said, this is, you know how you were prayed for and you were healed? Okay, this is how I took another 10 minutes and taught him how to pray for the sick. In Jesus' name, there's always power in Jesus' name. See, you got to understand, he, he didn't have a Bible. <laughs> that's, all, that's, that's all I taught him. So you know what he did? He said, come to my village. So the team, we went to the village because the Christians were out to lunch and went to the village and the whole entire village of a thousand people came out and it happened to be a village where all of the young men, women, and children that had their limbs blown off assembled in this one village, hundreds of them. So you know what I did? I said to the Muslim, you do it. <laughs> and then he said, only if you do this. They lived in the rocks, literally in the rocks. He said, go up through the hole here, go up here, and would you minister to this guy? They didn't tell me that it was the lunatic that had been chained to the wall naked for 13 years. They threw me in this room. <laughs> and locked the door and someone in the back unchained him and let him loose. How'd you like to be in a situation like that? <laughs> so, you know, I, I prepared myself spiritually. Boom! Bam! Bam! bam. <laughs> Cast a demon out of him. Demons came in his right mind. He's an evangelist. Uh, he, this man just didn't know any different. And this preacher says that in the name of Jesus, there's power to see my arm. He saw 100% success of over 200 and some people's limbs just appear. They didn't grow out. They just appeared. And now the guy has over 300 underground healing evangelists. And all they know is what I taught him, he taught them. And they have what's called healing holes. Because they live in holes and caves. Where people gather with every kind of sickness, disease, and infirmity. And they just see practically 100% success. And yet the country is under civil war.
But the kingdom of God was established in the hearts of the people that God had prepared. He became a spiritual father and mother. Now he has over 200 and some, 300 young men and women that they look to him as a spiritual father and they're doing incredible exploits and it's just spreading everywhere in this nation. That's what's got to happen in America. Father, come on, let's worship him. I ask that this word tonight would just touch and resonate in the hearts of every man, woman, and child here tonight. I want to be that father. Come on, tell them that right now. I want to be that mom. I'm willing to be made willing. If that's all you can say is, say it. I'm willing to be made willing. I, I, I yield. I'm, I'm willing to just learn. I'm willing to come deeper. I want to come up higher. Come on, tell them that right now. You want to revival in Ohio? Do you want to revival in America? It's not what you think is being taught and preached and all the hypiness. It's a heart issues. It's heart issues. Oh, God. We don't exalt a person, but only you, Jesus. But I thank you for the men and women of God that have gone before us, that have paid a great price when people thought you were a lunatic to speak in tongues. Oh, thank you for Mariah Woodworth Edder. Come on, let's worship the Lord for those that have gone before us, the great cloud of witnesses. They've set in motion for something that we in this hour are to enter into the consummation possibly of all things. And right now, it's that season of time to be a spiritual father and mother and walk in the spirit and the power of Elisha to turn the hearts of the emerging generation to our faith, to our confidence, the fear of the Lord we walk in, our commitment, our consecration to God. We need you, son of righteousness. Come on, lift your hands. Tell them, I need you, son of righteousness. I need healing in my mind. I need healing in my emotions. I need healing in my body. I want to be made whole and complete that I may have the strength and the testimony to be able to, to show forth the reality that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the kingdom of God is not just in word only, but in power. I don't want to be an unbelieving believer. <sighs> Simplicity, people. Everybody, say this with me. It's simple. Say it again. It's simple. it's simple. 
It's just simple. When something's too complicated, take the book and dump it. It's simpler than you think. Just love people. Share Jesus. Lay hands on them and see them healed. And you know what will happen? Enough of us do that. You're going to set in motion a reformation that will shock this nation. Because this nation, in about seven or eight, nine years, is going to enter into the people of this nation into a state of disillusionment. That's going to be unparalleled. And they're going to be looking for answers. And if we're operating in the supernatural, what are you going to do? Yay. Let's thank the Lord. Let's lift our hands and praise him. Give him a wave offering. Worship him. Say, it's me. It's me. Use me, Lord. Yeah, I'm, I'm like that Muslim. Yes. Use me, Lord. God can use that Muslim. He can use you. Yeah.